You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Good morning. Good morning. All right. Just a quick story about Karis. A beautiful thing happened over the holidays. Um, we, we do sponsor them. We sponsor them on a regular basis. And uh, we just felt like this year we needed to, to double our giving. And so th- that's what we did. We were able to double our giving, uh, especially the Christmas season, Christmas time. And I got uh, got an email back from uh, one of the counselors who just loves this church. She said that, listen, what you just did is a miracle because a few of our sponsors actually backed out. And what you gave made up the difference. And so I just want to thank you. That really is an, a, 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 attributes to your generosity, your tithe, your offering, your giving. The fact that we're able to do those kinds of things to bless community, to bless others. I can't think of a better place to go to give uh, than to some of our kids who are underserved. And we get to do that. And you're part of that. And so uh, that's an applause, I think. That's really something that we just get excited about. Uh, we're just thankful. We're very thankful. And so, again, I want to thank you. Uh, for your generosity in so many different ways. I, I wish I could tell you all the stories, but uh, we don't have time for that. We have good things that are happening, good things that we're going to be doing this year. By the way, our denomination is entering a 21-day fast, um, a prayer and fasting season tomorrow for 21 days. And so I'm just going to throw that out to you just for something you can uh, take, you can think about, you can pray over. Annette and I are going to join our denomination in praying and fasting for 21 days. And so we want you to do that. What a better way to start off the new year to have that kind of foundation of prayer and fasting. So encourage you to do that. That would be a blessing. Also want you to know, and I've had people ask this, when are you guys going to share your word for 2023? That's going to be on January 29th, Sunday, January 29th. Annette and I are going to just share with you some of the things that the Lord's put on our heart uh, to give to you that, that give us some guidance uh, through the year 2023. And so you can prepare your heart. You can be ready for that. I know the Lord's going to bless us. Let's do this. Let's pray together. Father, we open up your word and we look and see the mysteries that you have, that you unfold, that you show us, that you share with our hearts. Encourage us and cause us to grow today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, like Ryan said, let's do this. Let's open our Bibles to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11 together as we resume our series in the Gospel of John. What I want to do this morning is I want to talk to you this morning about your heart. I don't know if you know this, but your physical heart is an amazing machine. It weighs about a pound. Uh, That doesn't sound like much, but it pumps about 100,000 times every single day. And what does it pump? It pumps 2,000 gallons of blood through 60,000 miles of arteries, capillaries, uh, veins. That's your physical heart. Today, what we do is we look at our spiritual heart because that's what John chapter 12 provokes us to do. John chapter 12 provokes us to look inside, to see what's going on because the figure of speech the Bible speaks about when it talks about the heart of men and women it does go to something very deep. It goes to something that, that God brings redemption and salvation to. It's our heart. And that your spiritual heart will outlive your physical heart. See, one is temporary, the other is eternal. And the thing that Jesus always cares about the most is what is eternal. He cares about our physical well-being. He sure, he does. 
is it? Absolutely. But there's something that goes on spiritually that we need to pay attention to. The spiritual heart is described as a place where you decide, des desire, you have dibble, dibble, <laughs> you think through there, you meditate. It's the core of your being. It's really who you are. It's something that God has created in us in his image that we know there's something inherent that we have in our own hearts, in our own being that leads us to knowing who our maker is. There's something in all of us that would cause us to lean in. The Bible says you are wonderfully, uniquely made. We say things like, I love you with all my heart, or it's the heart of the matter. The Bible says that you're to guard this very place, that what you're to do is to guard and keep your heart above all else. The Bible uses the word diligence when it talks about your heart that you wouldn't let your heart wander or stray, but that you would be diligent in guarding your heart. We hear that theme repeated over and over again. Why? Because the scripture goes on to say, from your heart come the issues of life. You see, everything that we do is centered in our heart. Everything that we are is centered in our heart. And according to the Bible, it's the heart that was affected in the Garden of Eden, the fall of men and women, where sin was birthed. It was birthed where? In our spirit, in our heart. Prophet Jeremiah sums it up with a, a few words. He says this, the human heart is most deceitful. Uh, it's desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Well, the answer is this, God knows how bad it is. That's why he sent Jesus to redeem us. He re came to redeem us because of the condition of our heart. God knows. And in this passage, <clears throat> in John chapter 12, what we learn, what we look into are the hearts of men and women. Hearts of men and women who are actually uh, sitting around a table, who are having a meal, uh, and Jesus is able to discern what's going on in the hearts of individuals, and those hearts are declaring with their mouths what they believe about Jesus Christ. See, some people live their whole lives with their hearts unchanged, unchallenged, unaltered, unsaved. But then there are others, they meet Jesus, and when they do, they discover that he changes us from the inside out. Really, from the heart out, he changes us. So you're about to do something. You're about to step into the house of Bethany, where this setting takes place. Something to understand, something for us to know. What is the environment? <clears throat> what is going on in this story that we're about to read? It's a dinner with familiar faces around the table. When you look around the table, you'll see Jesus, you'll see Lazarus, and Martha and Mary. You'll see the other disciples as well. This is one week before Jesus goes to the cross. This is what I love about the Gospel of John. If you haven't figured this out or don't know this already, the Gospel of John spends almost half of his time in that last week in the life of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? From John chapter 11 to John chapter 20 is concerned with that last week of the life of Jesus. Why? I think it because it deals with the heart. And John is somebody who deals with the heart. If you remember, what he repeats over and over again is that one word, believe, believe, believe. He asks the question, do you believe? Not in general, but specifically, do you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? John does this so well. And, and, and he brings us to this place where a decision needs to be made. Now, outside of this house, when the people gathered... There was a big crowd. There was a large crowd, probably larger than normal. And it wasn't uncommon when a guest of great honor, of great reputation would show up, that it was a custom in, in Jewish time, in Jewish days, during the time of Christ, 
that people would gather around outside the house because the house was kind of open-aired. They could actually look in and see the guest of honor. They might not have been invited. They might not be the dignitaries or the special guests, but they could see who the guests were. And so this crowd, they, they gather outside of the house and they want to know about their, their homeboy, Lazarus. You see, Lazarus just got raised from the dead. And you think that made, makes headline news. That made headline news. So it's a double headliner. Who do you have here? You have Lazarus, who was just raised from the dead, and you have Jesus, who will be raised from the dead. Both of them together. What a combination. I think of all places in the Bible, you can say that is the dynamic duo right there. It's those two. And what are they doing? They're having a meal together. They're, they're sharing together. They're having conversation that's stepping into the house, but if you were to step into the hearts of all those people, you would find different things. <clears throat> Just like you would if you looked into the hearts of the people in this room. You would see different motives, some good, some bad. Some grateful hearts, some greedy hearts, some loving hearts, some angry hearts. All of them at the same place, at the same time, having this meal together. What a combination of people gathered uh, it, it's not much different than our gatherings, you know, the gatherings that we might have with friends and family members. Some of them you really love, and you know they'd lay your, their life down for you. You would lay your life down for them. Some you're not quite sure about. You still love them, but you're not quite sure. I think that's probably the dynamic <clears throat> that was taking place in this room. It begins in, in, in verse 1 of chapter 12, and it goes like this. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. And then Mary, she took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. He said, why hasn't this perfume been sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there, and they came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. <clears throat> so the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus, and they were doing what? They were believing in him. Well, you can imagine the religious leaders, they want a corner on this religious market. This is the place that they have control, power, money. All of these things are at stake, and they're not going to want to lose that. They don't want to lose it because Jesus raised Lazarus from the grave, and that's, that's something that's not going to happen, and they're determined. They are willed to take care of this problem. You see, that's stepping and looking into the hearts of those that were ill-fated in this particular conversation because they were so heavy on wanting to see both Jesus and Lazarus. He, they wanted to see his demise. So there were about 
best I can count, 17 people at least. You know, it's a pretty big group. Probably a lot more than that, but 17, the best we can figure, probably a few more. They, they weren't sitting around the table like we would imagine. Sometimes we imagine them, them around a table, uh, sitting in chairs with their silverware in hand, ready to dive into the food like we dive into our food. A little different because in the Middle East, what they would do is they would recline. They would recline on pillows and blankets, and there were very few stools or chairs that you would sit on. You would just recline around. And if you've ever been to the Middle East, if you've ever taken a trip to Israel, you've been there. You've seen something like this in Abraham's tent, for those that have gone. That's how we are meant to do it, except if you're older like me, you need a chair because you can't get up if you sit on one of those pillows. And so that, that the spirit of what's happening uh, here, we, we've experienced that, that before. But I want you to notice three people, and all three of these people in this room specifically, they love Jesus. They love Jesus with all their heart. They love Jesus in different ways. They honor Jesus in different ways, and they respect him. And, of course, the first person that you would notice in this room is the people of the crowd noticed. That would be Lazarus. And it says that he was, he was sitting and what is so interesting about him is never once does the gospel ever record one word coming from the mouth of Lazarus. There's nothing ever recorded. He never says anything. At least it's not recorded in scripture in the gospel. He's never recorded or quoted as speaking. Yet he, he's a witness. One of the most powerful witnesses to this day on the planet. He is a, a witness and arguably has the most incredible testimony in all the gospels. Jesus raised him from the grave. What a testimony. All he has to do is just sit there and eat. <laughs> All he has to do is just pay attention, stay awake, and he's a, he's a witness. Because people could see that he once was dead and now he's alive. That, that's a witness. And so Lazarus, without his words, but, but just him, just his life as a witness. He was this living testimony of the power of Jesus Christ and the resurrection. And I... Try to imagine the best I can what those conversations might have been like. I mean, if you take time, you pour over this John chapter 12, those first 11 verses, your imagination has to kick in. I mean, it has to go in gear. At least mine does. I get curious and passionate about what could have been going on, the conversations that were being had at this particular moment, at this particular place. This is happening in the home of Simon the leper. It's told to us in Mark chapter 14 that that's whose house this was. Simon, the former leper, he's in, he's in his house and he's invited Jesus as the honored guest and they're all around. And I, I could imagine just Simon the leper, the former leper, talking to the former dead person Lazarus and the conversations that they might have been having. You know, I mean, Simon saying, yeah, I... I was in bad shape. I, I couldn't feel with any of my extremities. I, I had some of them about to fall off, and my lips were decaying because of the skin disease, and, and my body and my mind were being racked, and the pain was excruciating, and, and Jesus came along, and he, and he healed me, and he saved me, and, and Lazarus would probably say something, yeah, I got to see some of my great heroes. I, I went for a moment to paradise. Did you know that? And I saw some guys and I saw some gals that, that I try to live after, that, that I model these great Old Testament patriots, patriarchs. I mean, I, I love being with them, but I'm back here. Can you imagine that conversation? I, I would have loved to have heard 
what they said and how much further that conversation got deep and involved. And then you have Martha. What does it say about Martha? It says that she served. That's what Martha does. It says that she was busy serving others. Here's where I think we might get off track just a little bit when we think about the narrative of Martha's life. Oftentimes we, we compare Martha and Mary and we say, well, Mary was at the feet of Jesus while Martha was just doing business. I honestly think she's been given a bad rap. I think sometimes the narrative that we give her is probably not the real narrative. You know, there's Martha, always busy, 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 never really paying much attention to Jesus. I, I wonder uh, if this common Christian narrative is given, <laughs> is given oftentimes because we don't like being served. We like to serve. We like to be served. And so maybe that's just, I don't know. I'm just thinking sometimes maybe that's a little bit of our way out. Well, I'll just sit here and not do anything. We know that it wasn't true about Mary. We know she loved Jesus, that she worshiped Jesus when she was at the feet of Jesus. But here, Martha, Martha's serving. You know, you need Martha's. All of us do. You know why we're here today? Do you know why we're not having to pay attention to it being cold or too warm or the seats too hard or too soft? We're here because there are Martha's in spirit who have taken care of us. This church is full of Martha's that come alongside and they create an environment for us to worship Jesus. You see, I think that was really Martha's heart. That was her gift. What she was about is to make sure the details were taken care of, make sure the food was prepared just right so that when you came together, you enjoyed the experience, you enjoyed the presence of Jesus and the conversations that took place. All of this happens because of Martha. Martha did what Martha was created to do. Martha did what she was gifted to do. I would say this, that serving was Martha's love language. And I think there are a few of you that would say, yeah, that's me too. Serving is my love language. I know one thing, nothing ever gets done if there aren't Martha's around. Martha was prone, though, to worry. We see that in the first account that she has with Jesus, but we don't see it in the second account. So something has happened. Something has changed in the heart of Martha. I love Martha. I love Martha because she gets things done. I'm married to a Martha. Martha, Annette, gets things done. And when you're around her, you just got to be going. Sorry, you just got to put your big boy shoes on and pants and go because things are going to get done. And, and we need people. We need people who, when you look at their life, that's their love language. They want to serve. They want to serve others. They want to make an environment, a place where people can follow Jesus. This is an expression of her worship. An expression of Martha's worship was that, that, that she loved Jesus. She loved to make room for others. This is what she did. I love that about her. This church, again, is full of Martha's. And sometimes uh, not seen as a more spiritual gift. You know, that serving gift. Maybe not, maybe not as spiritual as the sitting at the feet of Jesus. But I, I think equally so. They're both needed. They're different. Lazarus was different. Martha's different. And then... You go down a little further and you look at this third person, it's Mary. Uh, she has found a place at the feet of Jesus. Every time Mary is mentioned in the Gospels, guess where she is? She's at the feet of Jesus. That's where she finds herself. 
So she's at the feet of Jesus, and the Bible says that, that she broke out the perfume, something that she had. I, I think sometimes, again, and let me steer you away from this, don't be tempted to always compare those two, Mary and Martha's, because, again, I want to make it very clear as you see this story unfold that they're both so important and vital to the body of Christ. So Mary takes out her expensive perfume. It's oil of spikenard. I don't know if you know anything about that. It comes from northern uh, India, and uh, it was actually shipped into the Middle East, whether it was a flask or a small box. But, but it's kind of a weird, odd plant. Uh, that, that it had these fibrous roots, and you would plant the roots, and what would come out of the ground was kind of a spiky-looking um, uh, plant. And what they would do is they would take the, the leaves of that plant, and they would press them, crush them, break them up, and then you could, you could smell the, the, the spike nerd. You could smell the expensive perfume. People that owned this kind of perfume were automatically uh, connected to wealth. They were connected to being well-off, uh, it, it, it comes from this particular plant. The plant would again be crushed and it would, uh, the perfume, it would be sweet. It would have a spicy, musty smell to it. And, and typically it was used for bathing for those that were wealthy or burial. Uh, burial, the, the spike nerd would mitigate the smell of death. And so they used this, this spike nerd here. It was expensive, very expensive. The Bible says in places that it was 300 denarii's worth, a year's worth of wages. That's, that's Judas's commentary. Today, people say, scholars say, that can be anywhere between ten dollars and $30,000 in our market today. It's an expensive gift. And what was she doing? She was pouring it on Jesus' feet. And that's, that's what she did, not Martha. Mary did this. This was something in her heart to do. You see, Martha's worship was perspiration. Uh, Mary's worship was perfume. Both are a sweet smell to the nostrils of God. He loves both of those. Both worship, both are valid and needed. All three of these relationships, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary, honored and glorified Jesus Christ. And I think that's the bottom line. That's the thing that we come up with when we read this story. And so the encouragement for me, just reading this passage, the encouragement I want to pass on to you, is there are differences. There are differences in the body of Christ. There are differences on how we worship and how we follow Jesus Christ. The encouragement is to appreciate the way others worship. Not to disdain or draw lines or to be polarized, but it's to say, I want to learn. <clears throat> I want to learn to embrace and appreciate what's going on. Please allow differences between the way Christians worship Jesus and churches worship Jesus. If you know that the bottom line is that Jesus is being glorified, and he's being glorified through the power of the Holy Spirit according to God's word, then we look at that and we embrace that. You see, our faith grows. It's healthy when it's built on Jesus Christ and his word. What is not healthy is when we use our faith or our style of worship to compare it with others. You know the Bible says you do that, you're, you're doomed. Or to make it negative, to make someone who worships different than we worship as an enemy. You see what happens there. Today, what happens is we can draw a large crowd through negativity. 
that, that's how your social media platforms work. There's a lot of negativity, and wherever that is, there's a, a crowd that gathers around, and, and they all want to jump in and throw their own social media stones at what's happening right now. But I'm going to say this, that is not eternal st stability. That will not be sustainable in the body of Christ. You see, the way that we grow, the way that we do as believers in Jesus Christ is we follow him and we speak of him and we worship him. When we say things like, if people only worship the way that I worship, man, the whole world would just be just a better place. Churches would be better. That's what real worship is. Real worship is the way that I worship. Let me say this to you. There are so many different ways to worship the Lord. And what God is looking at is not always my outward expression. He's looking at my heart. That's the thing that I want to pay attention to. The way that I worship might be different than the way that you worship. In fact, there are times I know as a new believer that I was a, a little bit shy in some of the ways that I would talk to people about worship because I, I knew I'd be compared to something that probably wasn't healthy. For instance... One of the things that I enjoy when I worship is I enjoy being in God's creation. There are times when I'm in God's creation, I feel very, very close to him. That's just one of the things that God has given me, just a way that I'll go and I'll, I'll, I'll just worship him through my own heart to be able to sing praise to the Lord out in his creation. Listen. I don't know if you've ever heard this, uh, this little story. I picked it up. It, it's an old story, but, but it's a story about all the tools and implements in, in, in the Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth carpenter shop. And they were having this discussion about who was more important and who was the best and how the other tools would bother each other. And it came to a head when some of them got together and they said, Brother Hammer makes so much noise. All you hear from here, him is a bang, 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 bang. He's so abrupt and loud and noisy. Well, Brother Hammer wasn't going to have anything to do with that, so he, he pointed his finger at Brother Screwdriver. And he says, look at this guy. All he does is go round and round and round and round. Never gets anything done, ever. And just like we do, we pass it on, and Brother Screwdriver pointed to Brother Plain, and he says, this guy has no depth at all. He doesn't get anywhere with his relationship with Jesus Christ. Everything's just on the surface. He wants everything to just run smoothly. And, of course, Brother Plain took umbrage to that. He said, well, how about Brother Rule? All he does is measure us. All he does is measure us according to his own standard. How about that? That's pretty judgmental. And Brother Rule said to point his finger, he said, look at Mr. Sandpaper. This guy's so abrasive. I don't like him. He's just abrasive. Whenever he's with people, he just grates them in the wrong way. It's just awful to be with Brother Sandpaper. Of course, we know this is a, a metaphor. But Jesus walks in and he says, I'm going to build something. I'm going to build something amazing. I'm going I'm to build a pulpit for my ministry. And I need all of you. I need Brother Hammer, Brother Screwdriver, Brother Plain, Brother Rule, and Brother Sandpaper. I need, I need all of you because what we'll do is we'll work together in concert and we'll make something beautiful called go into all the world and preach the gospel. We're all different. We're all different.
And I appreciate the difference. I love the difference here. I love the generations here. I love the different gift sets here. The tendency is is when we're one particular group and we're passionate about that group, I get it. We want everyone else to be just like us. I get it. That's exciting. But everyone will not be just like you. We need the hammer, the screwdriver, the plane, the rule, and we need sandpaper. You need it. I need it. That's the beauty of the kingdom of God. That's the beauty of the church. And so there are some dynamics that take place here, and I'm going to go over these with you real quick. The first dynamic is various relationships we talked about in the room. The second is treachery. That's discipleship, the treacherous discipleship. So the first of the various relationships, we saw Lazarus, we saw Mary, we saw Martha, we see the others in the room. But now we come to this place and this dynamic of treacherous discipleship, and you see that. Listen to what verse 4 says. It was all going just fine. Everything was moving right along, and then we have Judas. Judas speaks up and he says, but one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? Sounds like a good proposition, doesn't it? But that wasn't his heart. It really wasn't. He said it's worth a year's wage. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief as a keeper of the money bag. He used to help himself. He used to dip into the money bag. You see, Judas Iscariot is a thief. The word used there is a common word. You've heard it before. The Greek word is the word klepto. That's the word there. What does it mean? It means someone who steals with carefully planned guidance. I mean, they think about it. They, ta- they, they lay awake at night. They're carefully laid plans. This is very interesting. Very interesting to me because there's something else you probably want to see here. Lazarus, we don't have any recorded word. But, but what's interesting here is if you follow the chronological timeline of the gospel, these are actually the first words recorded from Judas Iscariot. The very first words that he speaks is against somebody who's worshiping Jesus at his feet. This is the very first words that we have recorded coming from his mouth. Now, a little profile that you might might find interesting as well is Judas was the only disciple that wasn't a Galilean. Judas came from the region of Jerusalem. Uh, That's why you have Judas Iscariot. He's from Kiroth, the, the, the area around Jerusalem. And Judas is always mentioned in two different ways. He's mentioned as a disciple and he's mentioned as a traitor. In fact, when you go to the Webster's Dictionary and you look up the word treacherous or traitor, it mentions Judas. You see, for 2,000 years, Judas has been known as a traitor. That's why kids don't name their kids Judas. There's a reason for that. You see, up to that point, Judas was a good name, was an honorable name. You see, Judas, Judas Iscariot, was probably named after another man that lived about 150 years before. Given the fact that Judas is a zealot, he's probably named after Judas Maccabeus, who was this great Jewish hero that did the best to try to conquer Rome. Never really came out good, but, but he tried. And he did the best. He was a, he was a national hero. It's kind of how we name our kids after people of fame and, 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 and great standing and leadership. That's probably where he comes up with a name. But boy, he killed that name because after that, there aren't, there aren't any Judases around. They, they, they don't name your kid. You don't do that. Judas says Mary's gift is too extravagant. 
The lavish gift is an extravagant waste. That's what he's saying. Judas had a plan for Jesus. Did you know that? He was a zealot. He had a plan for Jesus. And the plan that he had for Jesus is he wanted Jesus to be politically involved. He wanted Jesus to be a politician and not the Savior. That's what zealots do. You can read that. That's in their blueprint. The way that we overcome is through political means. So Judas has this plan for Jesus to be this great political leader. And of course, what we understand and see in Scripture that he sorely, Jesus did, sorely disappointed Judas. And so by the time this week comes, Judas is already making his mind up. He's already decided. He's disappointed. His heart gets exposed. He's bitter. He's judgmental. Critical to, of people, hypocritical before God. That's just the way he is, and I think that's a cautionary tale for all of us to make sure that when we go through life that we don't become bitter, that we don't become judgmental, that we don't become critical. I golfed with a bunch of pastors uh, last fall, and, and uh, one of my buddies, uh, Pastor Joe Whitware, and I were golfing together. We've known each other for a long time, and he kept hitting this driver uh, from the tee box, and I thought, man, he is hitting that ball a long way. And he's not as good as me. <laughs> I said, so let me see that driver, Joe. And he goes, okay. And he took the driver and just started, I started hammering the ball. And I tried to hide the driver from him, but he, he knew where it was the whole time. I thought I could take it back to Canby, but he knew where it was. And I said, man, what's the deal with this thing? He said, Ron, it's got two things that I figured out. Uh, there's a bigger sweet spot and it's more forgiving bigger sweet spot more forgiving for old guys like me to hit a golf ball and i thought about it i thought you know the older i get i need to have a bigger sweet spot i need to be more forgiving not go the other way friends we have to have a bigger sweet spot we have to be more forgiving that's how you are distinguished in the community you live in not by how loud your voice is but how wonderful your life is, live it for Jesus. Number three, another dynamic here, another thing that's at work here around the dinner table is a godly stewardship. Look at verses seven and eight. I love what Jesus says here. He says, leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Let me qualify this really quick for you. Jesus wasn't speaking disparagingly about the poor. You know what he was saying? He was saying you're going to always have opportunities of generosity. They'll always be there. You're not going to always have an opportunity to be intimate with me. You won't always have me. And so what he's saying is continue to be generous. Continue to help the poor. But right now is a time for intimacy. Right now is a time to know me. You know, I love what Jesus says here. Uh, he, he, I love what he says to this man who's so critical, who's so judgmental. He says, leave her alone. Pull that out. Just let it stand by itself. Leave her alone. Someone that wasn't thought of probably that well in communities that she was part of for reasons that are sorrowful, for reasons that are true about that culture. First of all, she was a woman. She had a, probably a, a past that was a little checkered. So someone needed to stand up for her, but oftentimes people never stood up 
People would never use their voice of authority and influence to help somebody who was weak or who was beaten down or who was being bullied. But Jesus always used his voice that way. Read the Gospels when Jesus encounters someone who's broken, someone who's not as well off as maybe mainstream society is. Jesus is always using his voice to stand up. Blind Bartimaeus, what is it you need from me? Blind Bartimaeus. I mean, he was always advocating for others. And here, he advocates for Mary. He just says, you big old stinking bully, you leave her alone. How do you use your voice? How do you use your voice when you see something happening that you know violates God's word? How do you step up and use your voice? The Apostle Paul did it so well in the book of Philemon. If you remember the dialogue, the written dialogue that took place between Philemon, a rich, rich church house, church pastor, and the Apostle Paul writing from prison who runs into this runaway slave named Onesimus. And Paul is so eager to make this relationship right. A runaway slave, Onesimus, being rejoined, reunited with Philemon. And so what does he do? He says this, when he comes back to you, Philemon, this is what I want you to do. I want you not to receive him as a slave anymore. I want you to receive him as a man, and even better than a man, you receive him as a brother. And then he goes on, receive him as you would receive me. Woo! That's some credentials right there. How do we use our voice? This is the thing that stood out, and I thought, oh, my goodness, Jesus used his voice to stand up to a bully. Godly stewardship isn't just about material resources. It's about how you steward your words. It's about how you steward your voice. Jesus elevates the value of Mary before the value of expensive perfume. He says she's more valuable than the perfume. you got to know that, and you don't talk to her that way. I love this. You see, Judas was concerned with the value of perfume, and Jesus was concerned with the value of Mary. Isn't that a great Lord? Isn't that a great shepherd, a great father? He cares about your value. Can we do the same? Can we do the same? Do you see what Mary is doing here? She is living prophetically. She's living out a prophecy. Her actions are prophetic. And I want to talk to you real quick here. There are prophetic words and i think they are so important they're validated in scripture but can i tell you something that probably goes deeper than your prophetic words it's your prophetic life it's living out those prophetic words you cannot disassociate yourself from speaking prophetically and living prophetically they have to be together what is more powerful words live a short period of time a prophetic life is known into eternity Do we live prophetic life? Does our life reflect the life of Jesus Christ? Will it be remembered when I'm gone, this physical body? Remember, we're talking about a heart that's eternal. What happens? Man, I, I want to live a prophetic life. That's the way that I want to live. And that's what happens here. And I want you to see a correlation here. It's beautiful correlation. Spike nerd, the root word for spike nerd is the word pistek. Pistek. That's the root word. That's for the spike nerd, a perfume. Do you know the wor root word for faith or to believe is the same word? It's pistik. 
what's Jesus, what's happening here? Jesus is being anointed because there are someone saying, I believe in you. I believe in you. I believe in you. I love the correlation. I love the symbolism of what's being used here, the feet of Jesus, which was going to be the feet that carried the cross to Calvary. That Those feet were faithful to us. They were anointed with a perfume called faith. They were anointed with a, a perfume called believe. Not only was this something that Mary was doing prophetically, but this was something that had to encourage the heart of her Savior, Jesus. Knowing what's going on there, saying this woman has taken time to encourage me. She's taken time to anoint my feet to go to the cross. Mary's act was prophetic and an encouragement to Jesus Christ. Wow. Let our actions be prophetic. Let's live prophetically. And now the last dynamic in our story here, that's this. It's a, it's a wicked censorship. You see that happening in verses 9 through 11. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So what happens? The chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus. That's a major censorship. On account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Wherever we go, Wherever you live a prophetic life when you're following Jesus Christ, you're, you're going to have attempts on you to, of censorship. Uh, people don't like that. They're not going to pay attention to that sometimes. And if they do, it might stir them up just a little bit. That's going to happen to you. When you live prophetically before the Lord, there's going to be diabolical censorships that may come your way. And you just need to understand that that's part and parcel of what we've signed up for here. There's this crowd around the house, and they're wanting to see Jesus and Lazarus. The resurrection of Lazarus was headline news. How often do you get to see someone who's just been raised from the dead? I mean, you're going to come out and see, and I mean, everybody. I mean, their kids, their dogs, their everybody. Let's go see. Let's go see Lazarus. But the religious leaders didn't like it. They didn't like it at all. Even the chief priest gets involved, which is a bit rare. And, and, and they diabolically planned, wickedly planned to censor his life, to take his life. And even Caiaphas, the head priest, said, isn't it just better for Israel if one life dies, meaning Lazarus, than the whole of Israel? Actually, two lives went. Lazarus was dead and alive, but it was the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. That was the lamb of God. Censorship. They came after him. They wanted to get rid of the evidence. Lazarus was evident to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You are evidence to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And sometimes it's just not your words. In fact, don't let your words get in the way. Let your life stand for what it stands for in Jesus' name. And when people look at you, they'll say, there is a resurrected life. There's a resident. You might even have your mouth full and can't talk very much at the time. You don't have to. It's the life of Jesus alive in you. The Bible says Jesus in you is the hope of glory. It's Jesus alive in us. My life should be evidence to the power of Jesus Christ. I was a dead man walking. And now I am alive in Jesus Christ. As you go home today. Your kids, if you have any kids and grandkids here, or 
friends, they're going to have a few questions that they might talk to you about. Yeah, a few things that are on the table for you to continue this great conversation. Let me give you one of them. How can I honor Jesus with my life like Mary or Lazarus or Martha? If Jesus came to your house, what gift would you give him? I love those questions. Those are just things that we kick around, we think about. Might be good for you to talk a little bit, maybe in your car on the way home, maybe in your family, maybe there's going to be a discussion. This would be a good place to start. Remember, our lives are evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Live prophetically for him in Jesus' name. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I want to thank you today for this community, this church community, that there's so many various and different gifts that reside in this room. And I want to thank you for every one of them. Lord, for those that live prophetic lives, let us be that. Anoint us to live that way as we go into a, a, a new year. I can't think of a better way to pray over all of us as husbands, wives, mothers, fathers, grandpas, grandpas, aunts, uncles, family, community, that we, Lord Jesus, would be sensitive to your Holy Spirit and that we would always invite the leading of your Holy Spirit. And Lord Jesus, I just pray that we would be obedient to listen, to not always speak first, but to listen first, to hear the leading and direction and guidance of God's Holy Spirit, and then stewarding our words well, to speak well of you, to speak well of others, to not compare, to not be negative, but to say glory be to God in the highest. Thank you, Father, for your good works. We love you today. In Jesus' name we pray, and we all say amen. Would you go ahead and stand with me? It's good to have you today. And if Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.